episode 303 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is Friday, January 29th. I am Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris, ready to talk some baseball. Eno, how's it going, man? I'm doing good. I can't, I can't, I got this sinus infection while I was up in Seattle, and I can't, it's, uh, it's not like one of those bad ones where you've got like a, a fever and everything, but it's just hanging around, and I've got peak beer fridge right now, or I've just got beer from, I've got like Heady Topper, which is like, you know, top beer on beer graphs and just all sorts of stuff from all over um all over the east coast and the south and stuff and uh so i'm just trying to kick it you can hear it. it's just just hanging on in there it's, but. It's, yeah, it's faintly there is it i imagine it's more difficult to enjoy these beers when you can't really taste them which i assume is it's part not, of what this uh, part, it's like one of the it's like it's like a thing where like you could pretend that you're not sick right you could tell you could say to people you're not sick or whatever but you know, uh, the reality of it is there's something going on. So it, it, it's it's the worst. Uh, it's major major allergy season here in Austin. It's, the dog even like has allergies. Allergy, except that the, the snot is like bright green. <laughs> that's about that's what it's like. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we did we yes. did get rid of not graphs, but we are now <laughs> announcing today snot graphs. <laughs> you know, we'll be running at. Uh, it's a visual-only website. It's going to be a great blog, folks. So check out Snotgraphs. It's fangraphs.com slash snotgraphs, okay? While you're on the internet, you need to check us out on Twitter. I'm at Spore. Eno's at Eno Saris, E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S. We're asking that you rate and review on iTunes. Again, cannot give you guys uh, and gals enough credit. You're crushing it there. We're now up to 4.9 stars on 277 reviews. 238 of those are five stars. So really appreciate all of that coming through. We've got some big transactions to talk about, and then we're going to get into second and third base ranks. Big show to close out the week, so let's just dive right in with the big deal that went down yesterday, right in the middle of the day. You know, there'd been something that had been being talked about a bit. I think there were some rumors of a Tampa Bay, Colorado deal at some point, and then it came to fruition. And, and it was a big one. Uh, Corey Dickerson for Jake McGee is the print, uh, are the principal pieces here. Now, there was a minor leaguer on each side of some prominence, but uh, for fantasy purposes, we're really focused on Dickerson and McGee. Let me get your initial thoughts you know, on this deal. Let's start with Dickerson to Tampa Bay. We know somebody leaving Colorado that's always going to take a hit, but what kind of hit are you giving Dickerson as he moves into the AL East? Yeah. Uh... You know, there's there's like at least an outside chance that it's not as big as everybody wants to make it because there is some effect that Coors has on you when you're when you've left home. And I looked at how basically Charlie Blackman told me that Rockies hitters take a what's called a like a fastball approach when they're home. And the reason they do that is because pitchers that are visiting can't get any bite on any of their pitches, so they kind of become fastball pitchers. So, you know, the hitters in return become fastball hitters and seek out the fastball and become pretty aggressive because you you can't let fastballs go by because there are strikes more often than other pitches. So you become a little bit more aggressive. You don't walk as much, and you swing from, from your heels a little bit to kind of catch up to those fastballs. And then that, you take that on the road with you, and all of a sudden you're seeing fewer fastballs, and you strike out more. And so I think, you know, Coors has this weird effect where it just gets into people's heads on the road, even you know as much on the road as it does at home, and for him to have shown like even more massive home away splits than you might expect, given a, he plays in cores, is not that you know crazy for a guy who has 900 career plate appearances uh, and is a young guy. So you know maybe he would have even those out 
playing a little bit longer in cores and figuring things out a little bit more. But uh, now he's going to go to the Trop, and he's, it's going to be in reverse a little bit. Could be a bad year. You know, Steamer says 259 batting average, uh, 14 homers, and 433 plate appearances. That's about as pessimistic as you can get. And I would treat that as a floor. I mean, I don't. Absolutely. I don't think, uh, like, I, I suppose there's more of a floor. I mean, he just, he, he's had two seasons where he only got 200 plate appearances. And his platoon splits will, will limit him to, you know, five. 550, 600, uh, because, you know, I think that probably the, the Rays are going to platoon him if if uh, he's got that whip. But they've, they've got a perfect they're... platoon potential with somebody like Steve Pierce, who they just inked, and Brandon Geyer, yeah. who's been a long-time lefty killer. So they have options, and we know that they're a team in Tampa Bay that is willing to maximize a platoon. So, you know, Dickerson, I don't think it's going to be straight platoon where he never faces lefties. But, um, you know, if, especially if he doesn't show improvement right off the bat, he is going to lose more and more plate appearances against left-handers. I agree with you, though, that that steamer projection is just a bit too pessimistic. You know, we've seen guys leave Coors, and, and it's not the end of the world. The, the part that you're talking about, the Coors effect, that's, that's real. And, and so you can't just take his road numbers and say this is who he is over a full season. I mean, we just had a recent example of a guy – go out, uh, leave Coors, Dexter Fowler, and put up two of his uh, better seasons. You know, his, his 2014 with Houston was actually his best season if you're going by OPS Plus or WRC Plus. And then last year with the Cubs was a fantastic year. The uh, OPS Plus was down a little bit, but a career-high 17 bombs with 20 stolen bases and then 102 runs on that great Cubs uh, offense. So, you know, Dickerson's not necessarily going to do something like that where he's going to score 100 runs in Tampa Bay, but I just don't think you should collapse his numbers, send him 15 spots down your outfield rankings or anything like that. A few spots yeah, down he, for sure, but nothing too crazy. The patron saint of this is Matt Holiday. Yes, where, absolutely. Uh, he, he did, you know, people were kind of saying he was doomed when he left and, you know, uh, you know, power is power. When I watch this guy, he's he's real power. And he he did it in different places. He didn't do it just in Colorado Springs. He did an A ball. He did an high A ball. He did not rookie ball. I mean, he's had he's had 250 ISOs all across the minor leagues. Uh, he swings like he's got power, and so I'll, I'm going to give him. You know, the fans at 294, that batting average with his strikeouts. Well, a lot of that is with them still in Coors, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Those fans, yeah, you don't know. So um, I'll split the difference. I'll give him. You know, like 20. 20 homers and uh, like a 280 type average. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there uh, with you. Let's move on to – yeah. let's move to McGee uh, because he now enters a situation. Jason Mott was kind of the, the right-in closer right now. They definitely didn't have anybody that was guaranteed to have that job. Um, like I said, roster resource said Mott. Now it's going to be McGee, or at least it should be. I mean, first off, we don't usually focus on th- this piece of it for fantasy like – what the hell are the Rockies even doing? This was a stupid deal as far as I'm concerned. Uh, they do not need to be paying a closer uh, right now in the situation that they're in, particularly a guy who costs more than the guy they gave away in Corey Dickerson. So I don't really like the deal from their perspective, but we still have to talk about somebody like Jake McGee. Now, you mentioned the fastball piece as it relates to Coors Field. You couldn't have gotten a more fastball guy and, and you know maybe not even a better one at that point as well. Jake McGee throws his fastball well over 90% of the time. He's in the 95, uh, 93% last year, 96% the year before. For his career, he throws the fastball 91% of the time. 
he just pumps it in uh, mid to upper 90s from the left side. He's fantastic. So how much will his skills translate in Coors, being that he's fastball heavy? He doesn't need a lot of break on, on his stuff to close. Do you, do you see McGee as a viable closer for the Rockies? You know, I, I think, yeah, he's kind of a rise ball guy. Uh, he has been throwing the sinker a little bit more recently, and the sinkers supposedly are just, you know, terrible in Coors. So he might reverse that effect and, and go with the rise a little bit more. Um, you know, I, it's it, he's amazing in terms of, you know, 90% fastballs. I mean, they, they could have gotten him, Doolittle, and I don't know who else. I guess Mott, you know, that was, that was yeah, their all. Yeah, Mott, Mott there, was a good one. I, I think it's... I think, uh, you know, McGee would be fine. He's got deception, a lot of, you know, a lot of arms going, a lot of sort of angles going in different directions. And, uh, you know, he's kind of hard to pick up. So, you know, I think the most interesting thing about all of this is what's going to happen when Ottavino comes back. Because if McGee and Ottavino are both healthy, obviously it does give them a great one-two punch in the back of the, in the, back of the bullpen. But it also gives us the opportunity to decide who we think is going to close. And, you know, over the history of baseball, mostly teams have, have gone to the right-hander twice as often as the left-hander, even given the number of lefties and righties you find in, in a traditional sample. So, you know, I would say that it's a little bit more likely that a healthy Ottavino, but uh, given that Ottavino is coming off this injury and is going to, you know, have some hiccups and some command issues maybe. And, you know, may not, they may want to just say, well, you know, he may close next year or something or, or, or maybe give him some situational saves, but you know, McGee's been healthy all year if he has been. And, uh, and Ottavino just getting back on track. So uh, I would, I'd say the over under on Ottavino saves is probably like seven, eight, nine, ten, seven, eight. I don't know, something like that. And uh, McGee's is probably like 20, 20, Five or something. Yeah, I think the point you mentioned about uh, Adovino, you know, kind of working his way back. I honestly think this will become a bigger deal in 2017 and maybe September. You know, maybe you're coming down the stretch. Adovino's had a month or two to kind of get going, and he's back at the peak. Remember last year, he was looking like a total stud, even in Coors. We were loving him. That's one of your guys, big time, that that you got all of us on uh, via the podcast and your writing, and he looked great, but. He's working back from TJ, so you got to give him a break there. I do think McGee can pretty much hold it for the full year, but then 2017 is where that becomes a bit more of a conundrum. Let's move on to the other big move of the day. Now, this one might not ring as big in fantasy because of what happened last year with this guy, but Doug Fister out to Houston on a one-year $7 million deal. You know, there was a point prior to last year where we were looking at Doug Fister as one of the most underrated, high-quality pitchers in the game. You know, he had an amazing debut with the Nationals, 241 ERA for 164 innings. Um, his run with the Tigers was incredible. Really loved watching him every fifth day uh, as a Tiger pitcher. Really can manipulate the ball so well. Just really impressed with the movement he can get on stuff. Well, that movement kind of died out a little bit last year, at least in some of the times that I saw him, along with the velocity going way down. He's never been a power pitcher, so he needs that movement. So when it's straightening out and coming in at 86, 88, I mean, I'm hitting a bomb. Okay, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even making contact with it. That's a joke. But major league players are hitting a lot of bombs off of that. And so he had a one-two homer per nine rate, uh, which, you know, made him 
blah, 419 ERA, but more importantly and much worse, a 140 whip because hits were going through like crazy and it just wasn't a good season. Where do you stand on Doug Fister right now at age 32 coming off of 15 and 14% strikeout rates? Because even in that great 2014, he had a 15% K rate. So where are you at right then? Yeah, I'm worried about it. I, I, I made a joke that uh, one Scott Feldman wasn't enough, so they got a second one. <laughs> that's, that, that's very accurate. I mean, it's, it's, it's spot on. It's spot They're, on. In terms of statistically, I mean, they throw with different arms. and But, you know, you know no, there is don't. a little bit. They're they both don't? righties. Yeah, uh, I, I make the same mistake all the time. Which one do you think is a lefty, by the way? In, Feldman. In your, yeah, I do, I do the same thing all the time time <laughs> nice. i love that you thought it was the same guy too I, I i cannot tell you how many times i've put l next to feldman if i'm writing him up and, and putting the pitcher handedness no they're they're both righties but they're both big guys six seven six eight you know 220 or whatever so the the comps are really there well yeah feldman's more of a you know curveball guy but feldman really hangs so many curveballs and uh, you know, I guess Fister's problem is not the hanging of the, the secondary pitches, but the, like you said, the velocity problem and every piece of velocity, you know, it doesn't, people are talking about, oh, he's a sinker ball. Well, career 48% ground ball rate last year, 45% ground ball rate, you know, sinking, sinking the ball. He's not like a Keiko, right? He's exactly. not, uh, he's not getting 60% ground balls. And, you know, to some extent I would have more trust in Brett Anderson at 87 miles an hour than I would a Doug Fister at 87 miles However, an hour. So. let me interrupt you quickly because you mentioned a great name there, Keiko, who is now his teammate. What are the chances that Fister can glean some things from Keiko about that incredible ground ball rate? Because, again, when he was a Tiger, 51 54%. He was kind of that not necessarily um, upper elite like Keiko, who's kind of historically great at it, but he was up there with teammate Rick Porcello in the 50s really generating the ground balls. Is there any chance that, that these two link up, teaches them a couple things for Fister, um, and all of a sudden he gets back into the mid-50s and becomes an asset? Or is that just something that I'm making up? I doubt it happens very often. And you know, the one thing that does happen is that struggle breeds, struggle breeds innovation. And so struggle will breed uh, a little bit of a conversation between two between two, two players. You know, if, you, if you've just been dropped out of the rotation or something, you do have – uh, you do have that sort of window where you might talk to somebody, usually a coach, sure. you know, because I think it's, you know, think about, you know, working at work. A lot of people don't want to sort of open up to coworkers about failings. And, no, and I, get, about, I get that. I get you know, that. About, you know, oh, like, how do you do, you know, this? Because then it, they're admitting that uh, that something that they're not doing something well. So it's a, there's a little bit of a sort of a culture situation where these are guys are all, you know, trying to be as, as um, alpha male-ish sort of. And so, you know, it takes a lot of struggle to, uh, to you know, to, to break through that and to be like, oh, I'm going to talk to him. So I doubt that if Fister comes in, he's got the rotation spot and he's doing okay, I doubt he's going to do a lot of talking to, to Dallas Keiko about it. But maybe, I mean, uh, you never know. He, it's only a one-year deal, so he might, you know, might be totally thinking about what he's going to do after this and how he's going to keep his career going. So that's, yeah, that's how do possibly, I build back up. I don't know. I, I I'm just mostly uh, pessimistic. I think that they're more likely to either trade for somebody, get some depth from within, you know, find something, 
uh, you know, to replace these guys uh, or just middle along with these guys and not worry about them too much because they're going to get to the postseason and, you know, Fistel will be, you know, their fifth inning uh, in case of emergency break glass kind of guy. Sure. So uh, uh, in the po- in the postseason. So I- I'm not drafting him. I like I don't I, mean, I wouldn't put go so far as put him on like a non-draft list, but. You know, looking at Steamer, 444 ERA, I don't really have any place that I'm disagreeing with it. He hasn't had, you know, the strikeout rate, 544 has been the same for now, you know, 200, 300 innings in a row. Uh, his swing strike rate was one of the worst in baseball last year, and you know, command can only take you so far. So, uh, you know, I don't, um, I don't find this very fantasy noteworthy. No, uh, the, and the one thing that I, I was thinking about when I was asking about, you know, would he talk with somebody uh, on the staff to kind of get tips was the the Tampa Bay staff when 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 Price was there. Uh, they all kind of seemed to work together and learn from each other. People learning Cobb's splitter, uh, you know, learning the cutter from from Price himself. So, you know, that's kind of a unique situation. Maybe, I, maybe I'm overrating it as uh, something that would be more prevalent around the league. But I don't know. Fister's a sharp guy. I feel like he might be somebody who's self-aware enough to realize, listen, what I'm doing right now is certainly not working. If I can just even get back up to that Tiger strikeout rate when he was at 18%, uh, he spiked at 20% one year. But even in the, in the upper teens, he can have the success if he's getting the ground ball. So I don't know. We'll keep an eye on that again. You're not drafting him. Um, at the draft table, really, I, I don't even know that there's a format because that strikeout rate is so bad. But he's a guy that you keep an eye on, maybe put him on your watch list. I know some some commissioner sites allow you to kind of have a, a set watch list. You put a little star on him. And then if you start to see things turn, then you can jump on board because we've seen some past success. But as of now, you can still safely ignore Doug Fister. All right, let's jump into some rankings talk. Let's start with the second base rankings then we're going to do it a little bit differently here i've got i've got some questions for you you know and uh and we'll, and we'll just tackle it that way i got about six or seven questions for second and third base and we'll just kind of use those as our jumping off points so we're going to start at the top with second base and uh with with the best guy that they've got there jose altuve he was the consensus number one he and d gordon are kind of running the show there gordon was the consensus number two start with altuve though is he a first rounder for you i I don't think so. I think uh, he'll 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 steal a few fewer bases this year. And even though he does have a, a sort of mechanical thing that he did in order to get more power, I just see his long history before and uh, and his diminutive stature. And uh, I'm not willing to give him sort of 15, 15 homers again. Is he small? So, is is Altuve small? <laughs> I'm joking. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, you know, he also got caught 13 times, and you know, I, I, um, I don't know. I, I was a little surprised by the 56. I think of him as a 30 steal guy. You know, yeah, he had 38 last year, but it was 33, 35, 56, uh, 38. So, I, you know, I'll give him 10 homers, which is retaining some power growth, and sure. he's in the middle midst of his peak. But uh, does 300? 10 homers and you know 35 stolen bases does that really strike me he's never had elite runs and rbi totals for whatever reason so that's you, not you'd necessarily have to, his fault that's that's a team around you though you know i know and, but and, you have to give you'd have to give the rest of his team a lot of growth and though i think george springer does represent some growth potential there and you know a couple other players on that team you know carlos korea full year full year you know, some, carlos gomez full year 
yeah, there's there's enough growth there to to project. But you know, I wouldn't say that the the fans are 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 very uh, excited about him and give him 101 runs and 62 RBI. That's uh, 15 more runs than he's ever scored. Sure. No, uh, I'm with him actually. Which I think is, that's growth. That's growth, but it's not. I don't even think it's elite. So like a like a think about Mookie Betts, right? Well, Mookie, Mookie Betts, Betts is, is the man, and I I absolutely adore Mookie Betts. Betts. But he's he's going to be a, he's going to be a top the you know one a top three lineup in baseball, and he's going to have you know twenty points twenty five points more OBP than than Altuve, so he's going to be on base more, and you know he may not steal thirty five, but twenty five to thirty he should get to, and he should hit more home runs. Sure. So I think Mookie Betts will probably best him in every category save stolen bases, uh, batting average is going to be close, um, and and, you know, Mookie Betts, no one's talking about him as a first-rounder. Now, I know he's Excuse an outfielder. You. Excuse you. I am. Absolutely. I think okay. Mookie Betts is a 15-team first-rounder for sure. And I think you could even get him in the 12, uh, in a 12-teamer. Because I, I fully agree with you on Betts. So I can't push back on any of that when I'm talking about an Altuve versus Betts because I've already got Betts ahead of him. But in the case of Altuve, I really think there is some runs growth because, you know, he's got the 85 and the 86 these last two years. And again, I don't know how much of that is necessarily his fault, but you talk about Springer growth, Correa and Gomez for full seasons uh, as a 2-3-4. If Altuve continues to do what he does here, you know, 353 OBP last year, 377 in the great year. And that's that's probably the career year we can maybe uh, – push that out and say that that's not really going to be happening more of a 340 350 range obp i don't know though i think he can finally get that 100 uh runs what how what ranking do you have to be to be elite because there were only 13 people who scored 100 or more runs last year is that not elite or do you have to have like a top eight to be considered elite for it uh where do you stand as far as that goes Okay. Okay. The 101. I'll step back off that. It would be, you know, it's t- like top 10 at anything. I'd say is probably elite. So okay, it, it's right there at elite. And I guess, uh, you know, and then I'll the average the and then round. the steals. But it's more like a fringe first round. It's more like a at the turn kind of first round. It's sure. Not, that's, yeah. 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 It's not. I, I wouldn't give him top 10, you know, status in a ranking. I don't think. I mean, there's just too many players that I can go through. Uh, you know, I've been talking about getting one of those top three, four, you know, first basemen. Uh, so let's say we give, we say there's four elite first basemen, and there's you know three to four elite uh, outfielders. You know, that gives me that get, that's already I'm at seven, right? And I haven't gone to uh, Correa yet. I might want Correa ahead of Altuve, you know, because Correa is going to have power and speed and be at a more important position. Absolutely. And we haven't we haven't talked Donaldson yet, so. Uh, there's, uh, there's a, a good amount of, um, of players that I can, I can definitely put 10 together. I think I start fair. to think about him at 11, 12, 13. And that's where it's I'm just, at. yeah, I think that's where I'd put him. That's I'm, not, I'm, I'm not even saying top 10, a 10 team mixed league. I'm not taking Jose Altuve in the first round, but you start talking about NFBC and we've talked a lot about that this year so far, because that's the, those are the ADPs that are up. Those are the two drafts that I've been in so far have been NFBC. So that's where I'm focused. It's kind of that 15 team area. And so I am seeing Altuve bets as, you know, I, I wouldn't mind doing that 
with my first two picks. Now I'm a little bit behind in power, but I feel like I can make it up, especially after the power surge that the game experienced last year. So I really like both of them. So no, I, I understand. I'm not even trying to say that he's a lockdown guaranteed first rounder. I just wanted to entertain it and kind of get the counterpoint because I figured you might say no. Let's move on to another guy at the position, Matt Carpenter. He was a big breakout uh, at the position last year because of a power surge. And the power surge really, really had uh, the, the batted ball profile changes that you want to see to say, you know what, there's some realness to this. How much of it is real? How much of Matt Carpenter's 28 home run power from last year that earned him a, a snazzy TCU golf cart from teammate Adam Wainwright, how much of that is real in your estimation? Well, it's pretty radical change, really. Absolutely. I mean, he, you know, he went from basically 1.1, 1.2 ground balls for fly balls to 0.7. So that's a, that's a really big change. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was one of the biggest changes in baseball in the recent five years or so. He also added, you know, the, a career high in pull percentage. So it was definitely sort of a pull fly ball thing. It's the engine of growth uh, for for power, and it is, you know, what also what it kind of reminds me though of a little bit is what Daniel Murphy did, where you know he started just pulling the ball more and trying to pull it in the air. And I just feel like there's going to be an adjustment back from pitchers. Okay. And this is so far gone from, from where Carpenter was before that it's, it's, it's difficult for me to give him all that back. Now, so you go with the steamer 16 or the fans 21? I'm going to go with the steamer 16. And I, the, I'm even like a little bit nervous about that. I'd, I'd rather give him sort of 14. Oh, okay. Okay. So cut, cut that in half. I don't know why we would give a 31-year-old a, a career high in stolen bases either. So you know, I'm gonna you know, t- you know, 14 homers, uh, three stolen bases is, is a little bit more likely to me. Never had a great batting average, uh, except for I mean, hasn't had a great batting average in the last two years, which seems like you know, it, it's also important to think about that this approach may not lead to a great, as great a batting average because he also you know, the strikeout rate went up through the roof. So certainly uh, there's a lot of moving parts here with this and something about it just makes me nervous. I don't, I, I don't like, you know, in an on-base percentage league, this, the landing is super soft because he's, he's got a very good eye and, you know, just as likely to put up a 375, 380 type OBP and, and give you a lot of value there. And atop that lineup, he's going to score some runs, but, I don't I don't expect more than 20 home runs for sure and over 15 makes me nervous too. Well, I, I like him for over 15 because I think the, the concerted change is legitimate. And that eye that you mentioned that keeps him with the great OBPs, you know, he's had double-digit walk rate every year of his career, including 13 and 12% the last two years. I think even as the pitchers make adjustments, he's sharp enough to kind of keep up with them. And so while I don't necessarily see another 28 – um, I can I can definitely see upper teens, low 20s. So maybe I'm a little bit higher on him. I do hear you on the steamer projection giving him a, a career high six stolen bases. Why would he, in age 30, all of a sudden you know run more? He's never really been an efficient runner. He's not even that guy who you know when he runs he's successful. He was four for seven last year and five for eight the year before that. So I get you on that piece, but um, 
I, I think the pop is going to have a little bit more staying power than you do. Uh, so we'll see how that goes with Matt Carpenter. I should mention that he was the 10th guy on the consensus rankings, going as high as 7 to both Brad and myself. So I guess it makes sense that I'm higher on him than you. And falling as low as 13 for Paul Kay and 12 for Jeff Zimmerman. All right, next question up would be about Joe Panic, and I don't have a specific question. I really love Joe Panic. Uh, I just really like his game, and I don't know. Got kind of a bit of an infatuation with it. Maybe you talk me down or pump that up. What are your general thoughts on Joe Panic? We saw a great 100 games last year, but it's 100 games. So where are we on the 25-year-old for the Giants? Yeah, so I kind of think Carpenter is very Panic-like, you know? So. Or, or, or Panic is very Carpenter-like? Yeah, uh, and I, I'm I'm very pessimistic about Panic's power too. So um, I I'm going to give him back most of that. And it wasn't even you know it's kind of doubles power. That's the only reason that I don't that I'm that I think that that his home run projections are fine for me because you know a lot of that 144 ISO that Panic showed last year was not homers. I mean he, he was. He had eight. If he'd had a full season, he might have had ten. I'm I'm fine with that. He can he can run into those. I don't. I just don't project much more power growth. He's a 25 year old. You know, the Giants and the Cardinals seem to work very similarly. They have these guys that come in close to peak, that make a lot of contact, have a decent eye, and uh, you know, some of them develop power later on, some don't. But they all Matt Duffy. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, you know, I, you know, the, the way that panic has had to deal with injuries is interesting though. I mean, it's, um, I'm not quite ready to call him injury prone, but he didn't quite come bounce back from that back injury as as quickly as you'd hoped maybe. So backs, backs are a bitch. I mean, they, they just, they just really are. They worry me in general. Uh, cause you do. Yeah. I've mentioned many times. I'm not even a ball player, and my back is a nightmare. I can't even imagine having to be an athlete with back issues. So I, I can definitely hear that piece of it, uh, and that's what has me a little bit worried about somebody like a Ryan Braun. Obviously, we're not talking outfielders today, but coming off of a back surgery. And panic oh, has to be panic has to be even more live than a Ryan Howard. Ryan Howard could you know could almost pseudo DH, which just gets up there, stands up there, and you know does his best not to fall down. But yeah, panic has to has to be ready to you know, contribute to all the other Left, facets of right, the game. Taken out. At, yeah. Get taken out at second on the, on the, on the, on a takeout slide. Yeah, exactly. No, it, it does put him at more risk. And I, I think that risk and, and putting it into the equation is definitely fair. And maybe I need to temper my expectations a little bit. I, I wasn't high man, but I was very close to Brad. We had him 12 and 13 respectively panic wound up as 18th because the negative side was down in the mid-20s. Jeff Zimmerman had him 26. Uh, Dan Schwartz had him 24th. So you can kind of see that there's a high end and then there is a low end and then the rest of the guys had him kind of in the mid-teens. Don't be surprised if I bump him down a few ranks as we move on to the second ranks, uh, which will come out next month sometime, uh, because you're kind of you're kind of talking some sense into me. I think maybe I was a little bit overly aggressive with him, especially because, you know, he's one of those guys that uh, really needs the runs and the average to kind of, you know, it, his and fantasy for the playing time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's another thing. If, if you're going to be that kind of guy, then I need you playing every day. Because you okay. have to get all those runs and all those hits uh, and plate appearances that matter. Like so, okay. Scudero, 
he's basically Scooter Rose's patron saint, and we've joked about it, you know, me and me and Panic some. Uh, and Scooter Rose is ba- patron saint. And remember how Scooter Rose actually only fantasy worthy maybe one or two seasons because as soon as he started to go back wise, he was kind of just a waiver fill in. What, you know when he was healthy and and uh, and and little else. So, you know, I, it's a great find for the Giants. I think that they're happy to also have Kelby Tomlinson mm-hmm. to you know make sure that they've sort of got a second baseman at all times. And um, you know, I I don't I I just don't think that there's enough there there. Uh, now uh, on base percentage leagues a little bit higher than that. Okay. Um, you know, good good eye at the plate. Um, and, uh, might be a good BABIP guy. I mean, he does, he does, you know, kind of sting the ball to all fields, uh, to a decent extent. Uh, it's a nice, even pull center oppo split. Uh, but, uh, and you know, like, a like a MI, you know, so That's I, what I, I think, was going to uh, say next. Yeah. I think like 18 to 20, you know, that's okay. That's okay. still MI territory for most leagues. It's a yep. little bit bottom end. Uh, but you know, if, if you're using him to float some other guys that are kind of low batting average or low on B, on base percentage, then you can, then it makes a lot of sense. And in my estimation, there's still a tinge of upside because if he does stay healthy and has that 600 plus plate appearance kind of season, that's where you're going to see that big impact from the average. And he could pop over a hundred runs. I actually like that San Francisco offense, um, Again, they've got to stay healthy. They have a lot of health risk, but looking at it on paper, it runs deep one to eight. You're not you're not taking at bats off uh, as a pitcher with anybody in that lineup. So it could be a nice little lineup there out in San Francisco. Let's move on to Howie Kendrick. And uh, oh, oops, wait, we'll get to Kendrick next. I got I skipped one there. Josh Harrison. He had that huge 2014, and it really got some people interested, myself included. I thought there was some legitimacy to it. And, yeah, he gets a little bit of a break for injury, but by and large, last year was was a bit of a flop for him. Only ended up playing 114 games. The power wasn't nearly the same. Uh, the average was still good, uh, you know, not quite as great, and, and you know, he contributed some stolen bases. But, again, another kind of profile that needs to have 550 plus plate appearances to really deliver. Where do you currently stand with Josh Harrison? That seems like an aggressive ranking that we have him. I mean, yeah, let me see. Uh, he's a mixed league starting second baseman. Yeah. He's 13th among these second basemen. Brad, uh, I was actually the low man by a good measure. 24. Yeah. Uh, second lowest was Brad at 17. Paul K was high at seven. Jeff Zimmerman, going purely by numbers there, he had him at 10. So th- there was some love for him, but there was a pretty big split. And again, I was the low man. I'm just nervous. You know, I- I- I'm just nervous about what a 28-year-old who broke out at age 26 with not even that, you know, not that amazing of a breakout, at least in terms of the raw skills. I'm concerned about what he can deliver. Their playing time should be there, though. They traded Neil Walker. Uh, that opens up the, the full spot for him so he, they can have Gung and uh, and uh, Harrison on the field at the same time. Looks like Alan Hansen might get a shot to get on the field as well. So the playing time should be there, but does he stay healthy and deliver? You know, I think there's another question too, which is what do his platoon splits look like? And, you know, it's funny. If you look over his career, which is always better, platoon splits are terrible in terms of how they – uh, how, how sticky they are year to year. Certainly. And how often we refer to them, despite the fact that they uh, usually come in tiny samples. 
I don't want to say too much about 331 plate appearances he did against righties or 53 the year before. But for his career now, he has 1,100 plate appearances against righties, and he actually has the same WRC plus against righties as lefties, or, or just within, I think it's 106 against lefties and 104 against righties. So, um, you know, to, to think well, it's 107 against lefties and 104 against righties, that actually surprised me uh, because I thought of him as, as risking a sort of uh, the, the wrong side of a platoon a la Steve Pierce. I kind of thought of him as very much like a Steve Pierce where, you know, it's the, just not just the Pirates, it's the fact that he's right-handed and he's taken so long to get here. Very much Steve Piercean. But, you know, to have the splits be that close and then to have last year, which wasn't a great year for him, he still managed to, against righties, hit 282 with a 314 on base percentage, 106 ISO. A lot of the power goes away against righties. And that's, that's, uh, he has that one year with a 184 ISO against righties in 2014. And then the rest of them are around 100. So, okay. uh, you know, that if you're, if you believe in him, as a sort of top 12 starting uh, second baseman, I kind of think that you're believing a lot in, you know, that power outburst. The 2014 you know, that, that, power against righties for Harrison. Okay. Yeah, I think that drove the power outburst. Because if you look at his overall powers, you know, as ISO since he got in the league, 103, 112, 159 in a really small year, 175 in 2014, and then 103 last year. I mean, it's clear that that 175 is the, is the outlier. So, um, you know, even steamers 10 home runs, you know, and what happens to me is then is, okay. So, uh, okay. Speed. What about speed? Well, 10 out of 18 last year, peak 18 out of 25. So not very, uh, success, not very, um, was it efficient? Yes. And also not taking off a lot. So, Okay, on base percentage, well, career 3.6% walk rate. Uh, okay, must make a lot of contact. Well, career 14% strike rate it is a decent amount of contact. The swing strike rate itself, though, is about average. So I just don't see – you have to really buy that he stings the ball really hard, that he's a hard-hitting guy, and that he's going to hard-hit his way to a really nice BABIP, and, uh, and that the power, a lot of the power growth is real. And that he's going to still try and steal 15 bases next year, despite how he wasn't, you know, as successful last year. So I think there's just too many, uh, you know, things you have to sort of bank on. You know, it's like where's the where's the thing that I can put my hands around? I, I'd be I much closer it. to you than the rest of the crowd. I I think of him as, you know, if if you didn't have last year, I, I would think of him as kind of one of those guys who're like, oh, deep league playing time opportunity sleeper. You know what I mean? Sure. Like a guy, a guy who could be a guy at a position all year, not like a guy who's going to be, an, you know, elite in any way. You a know? starter that you're kind of building an infield around is what you're saying. Don't do that. I, I well, definitely I like, a, like an NL only, uh, like a ten dollar guy where you're like, I'm paying ten dollars because he's going to play all year and he's got a little modicum of upside. Whereas not like. A, not like a you know fifteen fifteen dollar ten dollar mixed league play where you're like I'm paying this because I think he's going to go fifteen fifteen you know two ninety this year and the price tag is going to be the latter you're going to have to pay for Harrison all right I mentioned Howie Kendrick uh, a, a second ago and really the question is where the hell is he going to play 
Where, where do you think he's going at this point? Now we're hearing now the Dodgers are back into talking to him. We know the Diamondbacks uh, have been kind of the steady name recently. We haven't seen a lot of traction on that. Where do you think Howie Kendrick's going to wind up? He's got that pick, which is really uh, the pick is attached to him for the qualifying offer, which is really holding both him and Giovanni Gallardo back. So where do you have Howie Kendrick winding up? I think the most recent rumor is the Dodgers make the most sense. You know, they don't. They don't. Ha- they don't lose as much. I, you know, yeah, it doesn't cost I, them a pick. Yeah, I'm a little bit confused about the rules there. There's something that happens there. It's like they lose a pick, but they gain a pick or something. It's something or no, no. I, I thought I, if you I, sign your own not, guy. You know, you sign your own guy, you're fine. So you know, they they're the guys that don't lose the pick. Uh, they have Chase Utley starting at second base in a in a in a in a division that looks like it's going to be competitive. So. I think uh, Howie Kendrick makes a lot of sense. For us, though, you know, he's starting to become a one-category guy. Just some batting average, right? Yeah. I and mean, it's, it's always been there, but it, it hasn't even been as exemplary as we thought it was going to be. You know, we're always talking as a fantasy community, wait for that batting title. He's going to get that batting title. There's going to be a batting title. And I don't want to diminish him. You know, I think this happens sometimes. We have expectations for guys that are probably too outsized. Um, and when they don't meet them, we pretend that they're not good. This happens with Justin Upton a lot. To hear some some people talk about him, you would think he sucks or, or that he's some sort of disappointment. Justin Upton is awesome and, and a star level player. You know, Howie Kendrick has a career 293 batting average for 4,914 plate appearances. That's excellent. So, yeah. you know, we shouldn't be hating on him just because he's never had that big BABIP, you know, everything goes right for him and he hits 340 or something. But the further we get now, we're going to be 32 for him. It's it's probably not going to happen, barring some some great luck. The power isn't there. We saw a spike of 18 back in 2011. He has a couple of other teens years, but now it's been seven and nine these last two years. I hear you. It kind of is that one category. And then last year he only played 117 games, so it wasn't even giving you that big impact because again, when average is your game, we need that volume. Yeah, you know, and if you just give them the projections i can't i can't believe that you know kendrick i guess that the projection is a little bit light on plate appearances steamer gives him 545 plate appearances let's give let's give howie kendrick 600 plate appear like 590 plate appearances that's where he's been for uh three out of the last five years okay and uh let's give him that and let's give him his 290 batting average he always has one and let's give him the 10 homers that they project to. I don't see why he's four spots behind Josh Harrison. As much as I'm thinking he's dwindling down to one category guy, I, you know, isn't the Dodger offense going to be better? Yes. And, you and know, be batting, you know, roster resource, interestingly, actually has him on the Dodgers still. You know, they don't usually do that. When there's a free agent, they keep him off of all their all their depth charts. For whatever reason, he's currently on the Dodgers list and batting first. If Howie Kendrick is leading off for the Dodgers, I like that. You know, that, that lineup is, is going to be solid, and I'll take that batting average. And again, probably going to get a whole bunch of runs. He's never been a huge runs guy, but I'm not sure he's ever um, let off for a full year either. And, you know, I just uh, I don't love either guy, but if both guys are on the table, I'm not I'm not reaching for Josh Harrison pretty hard. You're right. It, no, that, that, hard. 
that makes sense. Uh, we'll stay up on where Kendrick might go and, and, and delve in more uh, when he does sign somewhere because right now it's just too much speculation. There could be some sneak team that, that signs him and either tanks his value or adds to it. So for now, we'll just move on and say uh, looking like NL West, but once he signs, again, we'll readdress it. All right, better bounce back candidate at second base, Dustin Pedroia or Anthony Rendon? Obviously, you're on each side of the age spectrum. Uh, Pedroia, the old superstar who was good while he played last year but too hurt. And then Rendon, who had the injury washout after an amazing 2014. Who do you see as the better bounce-back candidate? And let me make it clear that you're not saying who's better between these two because the prices are different. For what they cost, who do you find to be the better investment? If you think that Anthony Rendon is injury-prone – then you should check out Dustin Pedroia. <laughs> so, like, I, I don't, I don't think that uh, you know what's weird though is that Pedroia's manifests itself differently, right? Mm-hmm. Pedroia is injury prone, but he plays through it exactly, and it and it ends up robbing certain seasons, um, you know, where he'll have an amazing first half, get hurt, play through it all, but hit you know a 500 OPS for two different months because he will, you know, his thumb was falling Plays. off or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look at his, the years where he doesn't have any power, it's those are the years where he was hurt. And, uh, 2014 and, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's, I think I would probably rather have the guy who's going to play through it. However, um, yeah, I, I think I'd probably ha- rather have Pedroia, uh, although Pedroia, I mean, is there a thing in second base? It's like here's a 290-10-5 guy. In, it's a lot of the Jackson. same. That's the thing. When you when you, you talk about those two guys at the front, Altuve and Gordon, and then I say Cano's probably the the third guy for most folks. There's a little bit of dissension there. Uh, Brad had Kipnis. Um, Zach had Kinsler. So let's just say it's Altuve, Gordon, Cano, Kinsler, Kipnis. That's the top five for most folks. After that, it really starts to clump together with a lot of sameness, you know, depending on where you, how much you believe in rooting and Odor. I know that you do. I do as well. Um, and then it depends, you know, how much do you believe in Brian Dozier, Anthony Rendon, Pedroia. But there's a lot of the same. Carpenter, Daniel Murphy, Ben Zobris, Josh Harrison, Colton Wong, Kendrick, DJ LeMayhew, Joe Panic, Starlin Castro. How much difference really is there between that grouping? So it, it is a lot of sameness at the position, which has me, at least in this particular question, leaning towards Rendon because I think the upside is so much better. Not that I think that Pedroia is bad. But is there a chance at all that Pedroia runs anymore? I, I actually think Rendon could run some more, whereas I don't think Pedroia runs at all. Yeah, the, Rendon definitely has the chance to separate himself. He is ranked above all those guys, above the fray. I think there is a bit of a drop-off after Dozier. And Pedroia, Carpenter, Murphy, Zogris, what I would say is that, like, let's, say, let's set a, a value level that's basically 290-20, right, or 280-20. And the 20 can be uh, distributed differently between stolen bases and homers. But basically, okay. since they're almost, uh, they're almost equal, they're virtually uh, equal yeah. in, in value, maybe stolen bases are, are going up a little bit more in value, but let's call it almost equal. So 280-20. Uh, that describes Dustin Pedroia. It describes Matt Carpenter. I think even if you give him 15, 16 homers, it describes Matt Carpenter. Absolutely. Uh, Daniel Murphy... You know, I think Zobris. it describes him. He might be he have a hard time getting to the 20, but he might have a little bit better time with the batting average. 
Uh, Zobris could usually get the uh, to the twenty. Might have a harder time with the batting average. Uh, Harrison, uh, Wong, you know, the batting average actually, could be tough. Actually, you know, Wong, I will say, is my favorite of that whole group because okay. at the very least he's the cheapest, and he's the guy who could put a thirty or even a forty in that twenty category. I agree, and, and I will say. I still think there's batting average upside with with uh, Colton Wong. You know, watching him come up, this was a guy who who did have a hit tool that really suggested that you know there might not be as much punch, but you might be getting a lot of that batting average. And then we've seen him kind of struggle with the batting average piece as a major leaguer as he finds his footing. But he jumped up last year to 262. Um, you talk about that 20 being the the distribution between homers and and stolen bases. He's easily crushed that. Like you said, it could it could legitimately be a 40 uh, in in like a uh, an above average season for him. I agree with you. He stands out because he could really jump up. He Colton Wong could jump up into that upper group that we're talking about uh, that have kind of set themselves apart. And the buzz was there last year. I don't think it's there this year. A lot of those folks that were high on him last year got burned, or at least they perceived that they got burned, even though you know his, his season was well within error bars. I don't think you can come away saying just because he didn't do 2020 that, that he was a failure. Uh, but I think a lot of folks have kind of cooled on him, and now he's in you know pick 140 area, 150 area, I think, overall. And that represents some value as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and – you know, to like, I'm looking at Jeff's rankings uh, because you know I know that he's a, kind of a numbers guy. But I wouldn't be surprised at all to hear that those are all just shaven, shaven garlic. You know what I mean? That that he's that there's not much separating Dustin Pedroia at nine or, or Daniel Murphy at eight from Colton Wong at fourteen because or even Brett Lowry I, at nineteen. You know, because I see a lot of statistical similarities from between these guys like i said the 280 20 sort of thing so mm-hmm. you know i don't um i i i i think he's very valuable i'm, I'm never i'm never speak ill of his rankings and I, I like i think what he does is very good for me it anchors me it anchors me to to see that he puts rendon based on sober projections in that same mix as well even though i personally uh, see Rendon having more upside and staying above that fray. I mean, he's certainly uh, in a full healthy season, which is, of course, the huge caveat with him. But a full healthy season, he would hit 20 and steal eight or something. So he's more of a 30 guy, you know, in that, se- in that, that second number. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I think that's very valuable for him. And I, you know, I, so I, I'll put the drop off, you know, uh, possibly Altuve Gordon. And then, so wait, wait, you know, wait. Let me jump in real fast. Yeah, you're talking about the 290-20, right? And and again, that's 20 distribu- distributed between homers and and stolen bases. And I just want I don't want to make it 280 because Matt Carver's not going to get to 290. Colton Wong won't. I'm saying 280-20. That's, that's sure. So that's, that's how I think of that grouping. Why isn't Kipnis in that group? What is so damn special about Kipnis that 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 everyone thinks he's so great? Well, you know, he he changed he 21 his last year, 21, nine homers, yeah. 12 stolen bases, uh, only 12 for 20, by the way. And he hit 303. I'll give him credit for the average and the runs. But it's this probably, guy gets pumped every year. He's probably thinking too hard back to his uh, years when he had the, the 45 in that number. So, exactly. You know, when he did double digit homers and 30 base. steals. You know, it's it's a it's a valid it's a valid question. 
the projections, though, you know, if you're going by projections, have them more than 30. The, the steamer has 11 homers, 16 stolen bases. That's a little bit, although okay, a that's, 267 that's batting average. But a 267 batting average. So you're kind of you don't make the 280. So you have to take some power. You know, I think it's a valid. I think it's a valid thing. And you know, for what it's worth, Kinsler is in the middle of a of a of a of a straight decline. I mean, he's. It's really obvious that Kinsler. He's 33. I can't and, hear you. I can't. Um, my my. I think I'm cutting out. Actually, I'm just going to get off the podcast. You're talking ill of Ian Kinsler, and I will not tolerate this. So <laughs> I'm hanging up. You thought I was serious. You're like, wait, he, he can't hear me. No, I can hear you. Yes, we have to talk about it. If I'm going to if I'm going to put Kipnis and kind of blast him a little bit, you're looking at Kinsler, and the only thing that's safe. Yeah, ISO. He did 21 last year, by the way. 11 homers, 10 SBs. Go ahead, Ron Kinsler. Right. So I think he goes right in that group. I mean, yes, a little bit better batting average last year, but not for his career. His career exactly. is 276. So really a sober projection for, for Kinsler would put him in that 280-20 group. So, You're right. You're right. Uh, in his ISOs, just to paint the picture, 223, 166, 136, 145, 131. And last year, 131. Didn't really have an asterisk to it. The 136 in with the Rangers in 2013 may have had more of an injury asterisk to it. Last year was pretty much a full healthy season, and he didn't uh, hit homer till like June or something. Yeah, and I know that there's some crazy splits going on. He did something where he just decided to go oppo. You know, it was a career. It was not a career high in oppo, but like a seven year high in, in opposite opposite field percentage and. Uh, uh, career low in pull percentage. So I think that was ill-advised, and uh, I'm not sure, though, that he's going to learn a lesson from hitting 296 and you know scoring 94 runs at the top of a Tigers order. So I think he might do something similar again next year and sort of, sort of spray the ball around to try and get a better Babbitt. It was the best Babbitt of his career or second best. And uh, I doubt that we're going to ever see 15 home runs from him again. So That's fair. You know, given his... Given the the price, you know, for the Tigers, I'm not I'm not complaining. But given the the price of admission, uh, you know, Kipnis is ranked six. Uh, Kipnis ranked six, Kinsler's ranked fourth. Those two guys do not uh, do not uh, tickle my underpants. That, but, that, that's uh, completely fair, especially with your boy mixed right in the middle, Odor, uh, who I know you'd rather just wait on, let those two K, K, K guys pass Kinsler Kipnis, and then just take Odor, you know, maybe two rounds later, depending on how much his stock is inflated in the room. So I, I, I got that. Let's move on. Uh, we're going to get a sleeper and a bust from you. Give me a sleeper. And by the that's somebody 20s. Or later, so Brett Laurie is the twentieth uh, second baseman by our rankings. We're talking Brett Laurie or below. Give me a sleeper. It looks like you got two here, so I'll take both of them. Who's your first one? Well, it's it's going to rob me from our discussion in the shortstops, or did we already do those? We, we did, did those. shortstops last Good. time, and I think didn't I talk about? I did talk about Addison Russell, so I won't talk too much about him. But okay, but he's he's, uh, your, he's one of your guys here, ranked twenty first. Not by me, by the way. I, I'm I'm the clear outlier. I've got I, I, him I just, <laughs> Really? I, I, listen, I, I love him, and I was talking with uh, Derek Cardi, who I'm, I believe you know uh, does work over at ESPN, a lot of DFS stuff, and we were kind of having a discussion, and he he hit me with a dose of reality um, on, on my aggressiveness with him because he was talking about how he and Eric Carabell had kind of had a discussion, and I was like, oh, which side were you on, the pro or against? He's like, I got to be against because it can't pump him up too high because he's a number nine hitter, and that's just going to bake in 
a certain level uh, you know, of suppression on Addison Russell, and I totally get that. The reason I've been ranking him so high on both the shortstop and second base rankings is to kind of point out how much I feel, how strongly I feel about his skills. I think I think Addison's Russell, Addison Russell's skills are tremendous. I think we got a good glimpse of them last year, but uh, if you're kind of married to that being him being a 29% strikeout and a 242 average kind of guy, I think you have the wrong perception of Addison. Russell. Russell. He did that as a 21-year-old moving around the diamond, moving around the lineup. Really, you know, I thought it was a tremendous year. And, and again, those numbers don't jump off the page. A WRC plus of 90, that's not even good. That's below average. I get that. But you have to give some credit for being 21 and handling basically a full year at the majors. This was a guy who was a top three prospect across the board um, as a shortstop. And he's going to have shortstop eligibility as well. So you get both positions up the middle I just really love the skills and I think we're going to see a lot more out of him plus I would make the case that he could move up the lineup now it's a it's a potent lineup but if you're going to look at any projected lineup on January 29th and think that it's going to stick a hundred percent throughout a six-month season you're crazy and so I do think there's room for Addison Russell to move up maybe even as high as you know five or six and then all of a sudden it's not such a uh, negative picture in terms of his runs and RBIs anyway now yeah. I'll let you talk about no, it no, I think the, the batting order thing is over a little bit overstated because the reason why he did that and and, and Joe Madden was very clear about this he said the worst place in the world to put a rookie to debut a rookie in terms of batting is the ninth is the eighth spot because Bingo. all the pitchers are going to do is is walk that guy to get to the pitcher and it's going to treat is going to teach that guy the wrong idea about plate discipline and what he's going to see in the big leagues and you know it's going to basically pump him up too much and I think we saw this a little bit with Ruben Tejada with the with the Mets they Ooh, put that's Ruben a great Tejada, call they put Ruben Tejada in the eighth spot he had like a 330 OBP yep. and everyone said you know oh he should be you know, batting second, he should be leading off. Well, not so fast. Maybe not. Uh, Maybe not. Yeah, that disappeared pretty quickly. And so I think, you know, what we saw in Addison Russell's season was an actual, a true debut in that it, his, his, his walk rate was not pumped up by having a pitcher behind him. Pitchers went right at him for the most part. And what I really liked is that he started laying off certain kinds of pitches, laying off breaking balls, laying off certain parts of the zone late in the, in the season and showed what he showed before in the minor leagues, which was, yes, the first time he gets to a level, he strikes out a little bit. The second time he sees the level, he dominates it. Exactly. So I'm not sure that he's necessarily going to dominate next year, but I'm, I see power growth coming. I see a massive cut in strikeouts. I see even a, a leap forward and walk rate. That's happened before when he's, he's seen the level the second time. And um, I see, you know, I see the potential next year. The, the projections are 14 homers, you know, 250 batting average, nine stolen bases. I see next year as, as a, a like a real distinct possibility of sort of a 270 batting average, 18 homers and 10 stolen bases, something that would pump them up into the top 12, 15. Now, I wouldn't necessarily rank them there because uh, I'm glad you did because it, it shows that there are people on staff and, you know, it shows that we have, there's a little bit of disagreement on him and that it also pulls up his, his ranking a little bit uh, and, and puts him up a little bit higher, which I, which I'm all in favor of. Uh, I think it, it does a decent job almost. If you look across, yes. Okay. He's probably a 20 ranked guy. That's where he ended up. 
But there is, you know, how many rankers do we have? We have the six, six. rankers. A one in six chance Seven. of being top Seven. ten, uh, being a top shortstop. I give them, you know, a one in ten chance, uh, one in fifteen chance type. Of, you know, that's like, you know, his his ninetieth percentile, his eightieth percentile outcome this year is going to be uh, a top, you know, top ten shortstop. So I, I'm glad that's in there. It sort of represents the different outcomes he can have. Uh, but uh, I think that's that's worth it because what you're talking about is you know a low end MI, you know that you could you could pair again. I would do it in this. I like this this three this three the, the number three. I really like when it comes to so, because he, if he's ranked twentieth, right? You got your your starting second baseman in the top or starting shortstop. Let's say you got a career Altuve or Gordon, right? So you have one stud. Then a lot of these rankings just strike me as thoroughly unimpressive in the middle. And then, but I wouldn't want uh, to to depend only on Addison Russell. So I like the idea of like pairing Addison Russell with Colton Wong and even getting uh, another another guy, so that there's three guys covering those that MI and the shortstop. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. You have your stud, and then you kind of you you get. An, extra guy so it's like Wong Russell and uh, probably not since those guys are both shortstops you don't even have to go to that well maybe even like a Kendrick where you have like the veteran right well you know Wong, veteran, second base so only high floor. right but if I in my in my okay so let's say you did Correa Correa Wong um, Russell Correa Wong Kendrick Russell that's you're not high. spending that's not you're not spending a lot no you're, you know? you're the, only the you first pick. one high pick yeah. You know, and uh, and then you waited on MI like the rest of the time. And, you know, you know, you could also do it with the with D Gordon, but you'd have to you'd have to switch it up a little bit with the actual people that, that you're using. But that's the, that's the way I kind of draft. And um, I think Addison Russell fits in there in that sort of philosophy. Brett Laurie, we've talked about, too, before. It's just a nice new park. He's yep. still young. You know, he, you know, he doesn't have to strike out as much as he did last year. And he showed some. Uh, you know, they threw a ton of breaking balls at him last year, and he talked to me about it, and he was obviously trying to deal with it, you know. Did and, he and share his Red Bull with you? <laughs> Were you all sipping one Red Bull, two straws when you did the interview? Uh, no, I was, I was not uh, his brohemoth just that tightly. But. Not yet. Okay, okay. Well, and now he's gone from Oakland, so you don't even get a chance to really build that bond again this year. But I also like him. I do want to hear your thoughts on Brad Miller. By the way, I'm going to mention it now because we're I think we're over an hour. We're going to do third base on Tuesday. I thought we could get two positions in, but this new format is really breeding some great discussion. So we'll do third base by itself. We're going to hit emails after we get uh, Brad Miller, then your bust, then emails. So talk to us about Brad Miller, the new shortstop for the Tampa Bay Rays. He had some kind of crazy ranks. Um, Brad, maybe maybe because it's the same first name, Brad Johnson, uh, gave him kind of the Addison Russell treatment as far as what, what I did with Russell where I was out on a limb. We've got Brad Miller down at 29. Um, I'm actually the low man on him, which I don't like because I like Brad Miller, but I guess when I put up my rankings, I just I couldn't get him high enough. I had him as 34th. Brad Johnson had him 15th. So there, there's the big split there. What do you think of Brad Miller um, as again as the shortstop of Tampa Bay now? Well, you know, I'm worried about a platoon. You know, 
But he'll be on the strong side because he has a lefty. That's true, but uh, Tim Beckham is a right-hander. Yep. And uh, destroyed lefties last year. The team loves platoons. And uh, I think that it would make a lot of sense for them to, to platoon there. So I think that caps his upside pretty hard. You know, there's a lot of disagreement when you, in any baseball circle, it's actually sort of a fascinating discussion to have. Once you have a bunch of different guys together from different backgrounds, scouting or different, you know, even just fans from different backgrounds of, of, of team fandom, just ask them if they think Brad Miller is a shortstop. Yeah, and, you'll get some pretty divergent, uh, yeah. some strident answers. You uh, might have vehement a, no's, a, vehement have a, yeses. Yeah, you might have an argument on your hands. So, um, you know, I, th- I find that as a little bit of an asterisk that you have to put on his value in that he could lose all of his value. You know, he could not be he, – if he moves to the outfield, you know, it's especially considering – you know, especially since considering that we um, – we just talked about you know, that trade for Dickerson. Mm-hmm. If he moves to the outfield, all of a sudden he's trying to push Kevin Kiermeyer, the like you know Gold Glove winner off center, <laughs> exactly. or hoping for Jennings to get hurt again. And even if Jennings does get hurt, you know uh, then there's Salza. So you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of guys there that um, that would make uh, Miller very uncomfortable if they decide that they can't they can't handle him at short. But uh, given all that. Uh, if you can swap him in and out of a daily league, well, I think all of that actually makes him not a 15 teamer. You know, okay. maybe like if he was your MI and you had him paired with uh, like a Kendrick guy or something that you could like a like a high floor veteran that you that that would that, that you, you kind of trust that yeah. you trust would play the days that Miller wasn't playing. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you could put those two together and and then Kendrick's batting average would float. Miller's bad batting average a little bit. And, you know, at the end of the season, you might have like a Colton Wong for the price of not Colton Wong. Absolutely. You know, like Absolutely. a 275. Uh, you know, and Colton Wong has platoon issues too. So it might, you might actually get more playing time out of that duo than Colton Wong would have. But you, like, I think you could put those two, two together for like a 275, 18, 18 type of guy. And it wouldn't cost you that. So yeah, I do think Miller has some excitement to him. Uh, but I think it's more of a deep league kind of excitement. So, um, but you know, most of you guys treated you as, as such. I think the 15 ranking from Brad is aggressive. I mean, just saying, just thinking about all the things I just said about his defense and about his platooning to, to make him 15 means that you'd, you'd want him as your starting shortstop in a 15 team league. I'd just, we, we'd have to ask Brad on that. I, I, I give anybody with the first name Paul a 10 ranking boost right off the bat. So maybe he subscribes to the same theory. And <laughs> anybody named Brad or Johnson. See, he gets double. I have no spores in the league. But anybody named Johnson also gets a boost from him. So maybe we just have to kind of cut into that bias. Uh, for any, those of you that can't tell, I'm 100% kidding. But he does love Brad Miller. And if you want to ask him why, uh, you can do so in the comments of the post. Now, you've kind of already outlined your bust, but let's go ahead and give him a name uh, because, again, you you said why you don't like him, but who is your bust at the position? This is a top 10 guy that you're just not feeling. It's Kinsler, although you have put a bug in my ear about Kipnis, and, you know, I think the bug was a, a little bit already there because um, uh, because I've drafted Kipnis a couple years in a row in different leagues and, you know, protect him and kept him in one league. And sort of, 
you know, I'm, 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 I'm sort of deep in Kipnis. You know? <laughs> so, and it's like, he performs, you know, you're, you're looking back and you're saying, okay, he was a top 10 second baseman last year. He was number eight. Kipnis was, but I think a lot of his, his proponents are expecting a lot eight. more. You didn't and, pay for it. Yeah. They're paying for more. You, you, you're right. Yeah. You didn't pay for eight. You paid for top three. Really? You paid for, yeah. uh, for him to be after Altuve, Gordon, and maybe Cano. Um, and maybe not. I guarantee you there are drafts last year where Kipnis was the second or third second baseman off the board. Yeah. I mean, don't, all those guys just don't don't float my boat. So you know, Odor is interesting because he's raw and aggressive, and there might be a, a you know we, just the the way that he started off last year represents the the floor for him, I guess. Certainly. But he's he's toolsy and young. I mean, he's the he's the opposite of Kipnis in that he pulls the ball a ton. And Kipnis, you know, laughed at me for saying you know pull is where the power is and. And uh, and said I'd rather you know have a 360 on base percentage than uh, hit 15 homers. Uh, well, you know, Kipnis, sorry, but in our most <laughs> of our fantasy leagues, we would rather have the 16 homers. So that's true. Uh, that's true. But the Indians um, and Kipnis himself probably don't give two craps about our fantasy league. So I understand it from his standpoint. Right. Right. But, you know, in general, though, the power does come from pull. So you have to like, I'm not sure that he's right about what about what he's doing. I mean, um, well, and, the, and the power pays, you would think. And, and you know, I'm going to use this to spin off of something. We had uh, Mike Petriello. I did a guest episode with him recently. You guys got to go listen to his podcast, the StatCast podcast. He had Chris Coglin on, and it was one of the most illuminating, fantastic podcast interviews I'd ever heard, particularly with a ball player, about how he changed his game, realizing that OBP and slug was where it was at. You know, he was, uh, when he was growing up, he heard that you know get base hits get batting average what are you hitting you're hitting 300 you're you're great you get the praise but he learned in the majors that that's not really what pays the bills or even wins the games and he actually said that firsthand he didn't talk necessarily uh selfishly about kind of getting paychecks he said that's not what wins games base hits you can go you know one for four but if that one was a homer and you walked it might be a better game than your three for three three single game um and so maybe kipnis will learn that in in older age that listen you got to kind of get back to the slug because that's where it's at so you know I, i've just never been a kipnis guy and so i guess i rag on him a little bit and i got a lot of heat last year for having kinsler over kipnis particularly when kinsler had no homers uh through whatever point of the year that it was but uh kinsler finished ahead of kipnis so eat it all of you who blasted me but um let's move on I, I to emails think, yeah just to finish up i think that uh i would pass I think I might even pass on Cano, so I might pass on uh, Cano, Kinsler, Kipnis, and then you know hope either I get Odor and then hope Rendon falls. So the Odor, Rendon, Dozier, but I do think Odor, Rendon, Dozier represents another tier that I would keep above the sort of two eighty twenty group that we were talking about. So let me tell you as well. The market is saying that you don't have to pay for Odor where we value him. He well, Odor made fifth on our rankings um, with a high of four from Paul Kay and a low of 10 from Brad Johnson. Well, in the market right now, he's the eighth guy off the board just after pick 100. So if you love him kind of the way we do at, at Rotographs, that's good. You're going to get a little bit of a value, though. You don't have to pay for him ahead of Kipnis, Rendon, Dozier, the way our rankings say that, that, that I you like. like I like also that 
Odor and Rendon then are both sort of eight-ish, like not in my head, but are both uh, guys that I can sort of wait on. So if I can wait, yes. if both Odor and Rendon are out there, then and, and Dozier is like the, the real backup plan, then basically I'm targeting Odor, but I don't want to buy him too early. So I'm just no. waiting. I'm waiting uh, until maybe Rendon goes, then I pounce on Odor, Odor, or maybe Kipnis and Kinsler are both gone, and I wait around and get Odor. So, uh, but I do want to stay out of that um, because if I jump into that Pedroia, Carpenter, Murphy, Zobrist, Harrison, Wong deal, then it's all Wong for me, and I'm just—it's all Wong. It's gone all Wong. And sorry, no, no, no. I apologize. That's a bad, really bad joke. Uh, um, I, I was thinking uh, but wrong I, I, in, in the perverted way. Um, yes. <laughs> so that's that, better. That, that's where my humor was uh, for anyone that, you know, wondering uh, why I was like, yeah, I was going, I was going the, the, the perv way. Sorry. Sorry. We're, uh, we're off track. We're off track. We got to hit emails. Let's hit a couple emails here. Let's talk, uh, let's talk to Kevin here. He's, he's asking about impact rookies. He says, I know the rookie class isn't going to be as deep as last year. We don't have a lot of bench space or reserve spots, so I can't really afford to draft a rookie that won't get called up right away. Are there any impact rookies who you expect will either break camp or get that call up within the first couple weeks, like a Chris Bryant, by the way, which was like April 13th or 14th last year? Uh, that's a, an, an aside by me. Uh, he says, I'm looking at Giolito. Uh, Lucas Giolito, Tyler Glass now, Julio Urias, Jose Barrios, all pitchers, by the way, and then a couple hitters, Lewis Brinson, and then an interesting name who you might not feel necessarily uh, fits this mold, but he might have the opportunity, and that's Charlie Tilson, who is a St. Louis Cardinals outfield uh, outfield prospect of, of some note. They're certainly not as high as these guys, but... Where do you stand, you know, on, on close rookies? I think Kevin is dead on when he says that the, the class just isn't going to be as deep as last year. How could it be? It was a historical class. But who's on the cusp? Who could, who could have that sexy camp that helps them break camp with the club or, or get that call two weeks in so you, so you get that extra year of service time? Who, you're, who are you looking at for that? Well, you know, the, the Nationals are, are in win-it-now mode. I think Giolito is definitely an interesting name there um, because Tanner Roark is their fourth guy, I think. Yeah. So, you know, or fifth guy. And Tanner Roark really lost it last year. And and honestly, I saw it coming a little bit because his sinker is is almost like Kluber where he's like, oh, you know, I I did a lot from going from my four-seam to my two-seam. But, like, if you look at the peripherals on, on, on a sinker, they're not that great. So... Um, you know, I was a little surprised by Rourke's, uh, by Rourke's, you know, explosion the year before. I didn't really think last year was, was going to be amazing. So, um, but, so I think Giolito represents, he's a little bit ripe for the taking. That's great. Um, the other name that I like off that list is Berrios because, uh, the, they have Tommy Malone in, in the fifth slot in Minnesota. Yikes. That's just, you know, Malone is an up and down guy. You know, if you look at the Rangers, they've got they've got guys. They've got Mazzara and Brinson, and you know they've got guys that it's not even clear that Gallo wouldn't be the first guy in the outfield. Sure. You know, so I, I don't think that um, I, don't, I don't think that Brinson is is that close. But Barrios, he's got a leap over Malone, and uh, he he really looked he really, he looked so ready last year. He should have called him last year exactly. And the general manager was like watching, like going down to games to watch him. So the general manager knows all about how good Barrios is. He's ready to go. If they have to wait till July, at least you'll hear in spring. And the nice thing too about that is that at least you'll hear in the spring 
that he's really close and that, you know, we just want to give Malone a shot or whatever, you might be tempted to then hold him for a couple months. But I think Berrios and Giolito of that group, uh, and I think in general, um, represent right now because a lot of the a lot of the the youth was taken out of the minor leagues, and the, a lot of the top guys now are 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 young. You They're know, further away, really exactly. And and then some of the guys who are up there that might be close, like a Nick Williams type or something. You know, the, their teams don't really have the need to 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 throw them in the in the fire right away and 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 lose those years. So. There's no like Steven Salza where it's like traded, you know, to a team that was going to just plug him in and it was obvious from the get go. I don't really see that. And there's no like Corey Seegers where they're just, you know, blowing down the door right now. So that's my breaking news sounder. Roster resource was right on. Kendrick's going back to the Dodgers. That's probably why they had him there. And we just missed the news, but it's it's being finalized. So we already talked about that we don't really have to uh, you know we were talking about him as a potential dodger so now that that's going to be official we know where howie kendrick is going and uh you can just rewind about 30 minutes and, and listen to that sorry sorry to cut you off there but uh that, that that's where howie kendrick's gonna be going he's gonna be headed to the dodgers and i agree with you particularly on giolito and barrios like i said barrios should have been up last year as far as i'm concerned i don't know what they were waiting for i really thought it was going to be a situation like Luis Severino with the Yankees. They were going to use Barrios as kind of their their trade chip without having to make a trade. Uh, they were in that race much longer than anybody thought. You know, how many times did we come on and, and bury the Twins for the play? Uh, they're going to fall out of the race, blah, blah, blah. Don't, don't pay attention to them. And they just kept hanging around, hanging around. And Barrios could have been an impact pitcher for them. So I love Barrios. I would not even be surprised if he did so well in camp that he kind of pushed Tommy Malone out. There's no way that Tommy Malone should be blocking somebody with Barrios's upside. And I know Nolasco's in there, and, and it might you, folks might be inclined to say, "Well, what about him?" But they're paying him, and and whether that should matter or not, it definitely does. When especially when you're not the Dodgers uh, or or some bigger market team that can afford to kind of have a bench or a uh, a bullpen guy making a ton of money, I think they're paying him like 13 mil this year so Nolasco is going to get a shot because he had an injury marred 2014 all right let's move on to the next email it's from Eddie he's talking about valuing injured guys in dynasty and I've been bringing these dynasty questions on because I'm, I'm still learning a lot about dynasty leagues myself uh, and I, I've mentioned that I joined that league with you it's been a great learning experience so I'm very interested to see how you tackle this question you know he says, hey, gents, I have a brand-new 16-team dynasty draft later this spring. I'm very curious about where guys like Alex Cobb, Zach Wheeler, and other young injured players should be drafted if my league has two DL spots. A friend of mine is in a similar league, and Cobb went in the 10th round. Is that an outlier, or should I expect to pay that much if I want him or another young but injured player? Love the podcast, Eddie. What do you think, Eno? You know, I would say that this is something you could solve by sort of manipulating the innings, the innings pitch total in your in your in your auction calculator, what you're you're throwing in there. But uh, with Cobb with 48 uh, innings pitched projection for next year, and Zeeler with uh, Zeeler, Zeeler, Wheeler mixing him, yeah, with, uh, with 65, they're just not showing up. Uh, they're not they're not showing up anywhere. And it, they're also interesting uh, players in that Wheeler has 
not only the 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 injury, but also he had to get he has to get better in order exactly. to, to really be good. I mean, the, the strikeouts were there, but a one three six whip and a one three three whip that's pretty wild. That's pretty unusable, and so it's not it's not enough. And so he'd have to take another step forward. Cobb, on the other hand, has been more injured, but has been better when in. Uh, so, you know, 10th round seems aggressive because, uh, you're, that's, it's, it's almost like buying a prospect, you know, won't play for you this year. That's sort of almost buying like a guy that's, you got TJ, you know, who's getting TJ right now that you're going to miss the whole year. So, I mean, Cobb, you kind of are, you know, he's not, Colette's been talking that he's going to come back in like August. So, you know, you're barely going to get anything from him this year. What's that? Why is that? Why is that? Because of when it happened. Didn't it happen in, like, June? Yeah, I, thought, I guess I thought, so. And now, now people are doing more of, like, an 18-month thing. They're, where trying, they're trying to do to... a little bit longer. And you know Tampa Bay is going to be inclined to do that if any – you know, some teams are probably going to be closer to that 12-month window. They want to get their guy back. But if there is a team that would be willing to say, you know what, we'll sacrifice that extra month or two because of what it can mean uh, for our guy, I think it would be Tampa Bay. Um, okay, it looks like he was down in mid-May. But, again, that's still – you're talking – Mid-May is a year. You add on a, a month ramp up, and then when's he really going to get going? Is it going to be Alex Cobb proper right when he gets back? So even if he doesn't, even if he gets going, you're talking late July, early August. What are you really getting out of him? I just he's not on my draft board this year in redrafts. Now I get dynasty league. You have to look toward the future, but I don't know an injured pitcher who's had injury concerns that, in the past. Yeah, 166 uh, career high in innings, and really he's averaged more like 135. So, you know. Exactly. Uh, it's you scary. Know, and so both of those guys are super scary. I think I'd be rather be like a Disclafani type. Well, I mean, he's he's healthy right now. If you want Wheeler, you want some growth out of Wheeler. You've seen some growth out of Disclafani last year. Why not just take the healthy guy who's going to show you something? He's going to give you more data. He's going to give you more of a chance to to think about it. So, you know, if if you Darvish was out there and he was going to miss the entire year, then you go and buy you Darvish, right? And yeah, you, like Darvish you know last you have a good idea about what's going to happen when he comes back. But, uh, you know, Cobb a little bit more than Wheeler, but still with Cobb, you, you don't know. You don't even know that if this is necessarily take this the surgery because he's been so sort of injury prone before. You know, maybe he's one of these guys that that loses that doesn't take. You know, and has to have a second Tommy John. Remember Brandon Beachy and 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 all those guys. Jared, so Jared Parker. Yeah, you know? I just spent some time up in Seattle with a guy named Casey Weathers, who oh, was a him. top. He was a top pick. Yep. They gave him surgery, and he said that every time that they every time that he got an exit. MRI, they have like when you leave an organization, they have an exit sort of physical with you. They take an MRI and they uh, they, they they make you sign a physical that that says something. He said that he he made them put a line in that said Casey doesn't feel that he's fully healthy from his shoulder surgery yet, and uh, and he said they made them put that in there because he didn't want people thinking he just sucked. Yeah, and exactly. When they finally went in there, he said they found a bone spur the size of his pinky. Oh my God! Inside his UCL that That's was supposedly insane. fixed. So you know he's been working his way back from that, and it's he said to be clear, it's not a second Tommy John. It's you know they had to go in and sort of clear clear up this problem. 
And um, any case, that's that's off topic. But the point is, you never know what Cobb's surgery is going to look like. And 15% failure rate plus the fact that he was injury prone before. I'm definitely not doing 10th round. When am I going to do it? I'm going to do it after I have – I want to have five starters and my starting lineup. So I want to be closer to 15, 16, 18th round, maybe something in there. I'd something like to have to, I'd like to have my two. I'd like to have two closers at least too. Two closers, five starters, and and ten guys. So I'm I, earliest. I'm looking at you know injury, you know stash and go kind of guys is more like 18. Yeah, I like I said, I cannot even describe how much I love Cobb as a pitcher when he's pitching. And I still think that it's insane for the 10th round, even in a dynasty league. Can't do it, Eddie. So go ahead and pass on those guys. Stock up with your guys who are going to contribute this year. And if everyone starts going haywire on the prospects, you get the guys who are going to contribute this year and at least win the league this year, Eddie. Um, All right, you know, that's going to wrap it up. We gave him a, a, a mega episode for the weekend. Speaking of the weekend, you got any big plans? Everybody's working for the weekend. I like that. No, uh, uh, I have that beer fridge uh, that, that you I've want got to tackle, handle, and that's about it. That sounds good. I'm actually uh, it's it, Paul K. Paul Kostava. I've been mentioning him uh, as one of our rankers, one of our newest writers. It's his birthday. Going over to his house, taking the PlayStation Four. It's going to be a game night, and it's going to be dope. Uh, going to be playing MLB for sure. I think we're going to get a little tournament going. It's gonna be it's gonna be great. And then Saturday and Sunday is a starting pitcher guide, editing Fangraphs plus player caps, all sorts of great stuff. It'll be a baseball filled weekend for me. I hope you feel better, Eno. You and I'll be back on Tuesday. Jason and I'll be back on Sunday. Till then, take care. Yes. Thanks for listening.